From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday, September the 4th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, cultural displays are a hit with visitors at the China International Fair for Trade and Services in Beijing. Southern China is bracing for Typhoon Haikui as the storm approaches Fujian and Guangdong provinces. The flagship program of the Belt and Road Initiative is strengthening ties between China and Pakistan. In business, China sets up a special bureau to enhance the private economy. In sports, a Chinese tennis star advances to the last 16 at the U.S. Open. In culture and entertainment, a Hong Kong actor honored at the Venice Film Festival. Now checking the day's top stories. Cultural tourism and education services are one of the nine thematic exhibitions at this year's China International Fair for Trade and Services in Beijing. Tourism exhibitors are seizing the opportunity to captivate visitors with their cultural prowess. Do Hongyu has more. Traditional Chinese culture is permeating almost every corner of the Culture and Tourism Pavilion at the China International Fair for Trading Services. A booth set up by Shanxi Province, the starting point of the Silk Road, is trying to attract attention with traditional instrumental performances. Exhibitors say they're using local cultures to gain popularity and attract potential travelers. I've brought along one of the oldest musical instruments in Shanxi called Taoshun. My province invited me because they want more people to discover this ancient instrument from our region. I am displaying Kyrian porcelain, which focuses on repair techniques. It is associated with culture and is a provincial intangible cultural heritage. So our province wants us to be at various events. 
Many visitors come and ask me what I'm displaying. I tell them about the crochet craft featuring wild animals known as the Four Treasures of the Qingling Mountains. They're amazed by the creative presentation. Our artworks help people learn about Shanxi. At the booth of Beijing Changping Culture and Tourism Development Group, a mesmerizing performance of traditional etiquette in ancient costumes is attracting a crowd. Wang Haoqi with the company says their aim is to change people's outdated perceptions about the Changping region of the capital. I hope that sifters will help more people learn about Changping. Even though it's just a suburb in northwestern Beijing, we don't want it to be known only for its natural beauty. Changping has a rich cultural heritage from the Ming Dynasty. In the past, many people only associated it with sacrificial rituals, but now the public is starting to learn more about its history. Wang says her company saw a surge in tourist numbers after China lifted its COVID restrictions, and that travelers have shown immense curiosity and enthusiasm for their cultural tourist sites. We had an amazing summer season with incredible ticket sales, especially with many families bringing their kids to visit our tourist sites. We've set up an archaeology study base in the main tombs, and parents are excited to bring their children here to experience the cultural atmosphere. Wang emphasized that people's enthusiasm for cultural exploration and education is motivating the company to further embed themselves in the rich history and traditions of Changping. According to the China Tourism Academy, domestic tourist trips in China surpassed 1.8 billion during the past summer vacation. The sizzling travel market has outperformed the same period in 2019. Tourism exhibitors say while the integration of culture and tourism has contributed to the tourist boom, the sharp increase of travelers will undoubtedly help promote and preserve local cultures. For the Beijing Hour, this is Do Hongyu. Innovative and cutting-edge devices using artificial intelligence are attracting visitors at Siftis. Among the exhibited AI products are augmented reality glasses. They allow users to immerse themselves virtually in the grandeur of the Mogao Grottoes, one of the most important cultural discoveries in China. Uh, I feel so impressed by uh, watching such delicate details. And it is so great to get so close to the to the great legacy of Chinese history. And wearing those glasses, I feel myself just get back to the, the hi- history and be a part of the situations. Jia Gao is uh, the head of uh, brand marketing at uh, Mobvoi, a company dedicated to AI and voice interaction technologies. And she says AI technologies will further affect people's lives in the future. AI-generated content can be applied in many fields, for example, in media, education, healthcare, and finance. AI-generated content can promote content production and distribution. Our AI products are applied to live broadcasting and for conversion between sound, video, and text. AI will deeply affect how we create content in the future. Data shows the number of Chinese enterprises in the AI industry has surpassed 4,300. A report says the AI sector in China is expected to rise to 600 billion U.S. dollars in the coming decade. 
The commercial counselor at the Irish embassy in Beijing uh, says Ireland is hoping to deepen cooperation with China in agriculture and sustainable development. In a conversation with reporter Xu Yawen at the China International Fair for Trade and Services, Joseph Keating said he expects to see increased cooperation between Ireland and China in trade and services. Ireland has been a regular participant at CIFDs. So what's the key focus of Ireland for this year's event? Uh, well, I think um, Ireland is a, first of all, Ireland is an open economy. Uh, 66% of our global trade is in services. So we, like every year, we try and promote Irish trade in services with China. Our Chinese trade, only 43% of services, it's mostly goods, which is a bit different to our normal trading relationship. So for CIFTIS, for the last number of years, I've been here four years now running, and we just try to promote cooperation, collaboration between Ireland and China in the, in the field of services. Ireland is very strong in a number of services, including computer services, financial services, uh, medtech, and education. So that's what we're looking for, collaboration and continued cooperation. What's your take on the message delivered by CIFDs, as well as China's determination to further open up its market to foreign companies? Well, Ireland is a very small uh, country. We've only five million people and we rely on the, the rules-based system. So opening up and sticking to the rules underpinned by the WTO is something that Ireland relies on. We pride ourselves on quality and I was heartened to hear in President Xi Jinping's speech that China will continue to open up, that we'll look for further cooperation in agriculture, in which Ireland is very strong, and in the import of quality services. Again, Ireland very strong on quality. Because we're a small country, we rely on quality. That's what we have to trade on. So very heartened by those uh, messages from President Xi Jinping. What's your perspective on China's economy going forward, especially as the country is transforming from a stage of rapid growth to a stage of high quality and sustainable development? Um, well, I think I saw overnight that the, um, the, the, the figures for the Chinese economy have upturned again. Uh, I think it's very important that the Chinese economy obviously keeps keeps on a, an even keel. It's the second largest economy in the world, obviously. And, uh, you know, if, if, if the Chinese economy dips, the world economy will dip. So it's important that things work, work well here. I think going forward, yes, China is moving towards a service economy, away from the mass production of goods to higher quality. That's what Ireland relies on, quality. And I think once we're, once we're all working towards that, then we can, you know, we can look to what we do best and I think it's, it's all for the best. It's, I mean, that's what we have to do. And that was uh, Joseph Keating at the Irish Embassy in China, speaking about opportunities from China's pledge of continuing opening its market. Coming up, southern China's bracing for Typhoon Haikwei. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. 
At 10 minutes past the hour, southern provinces on the Chinese mainland are bracing for Typhoon Haikuei, which is moving toward Fujian and Guangdong. Fujian suspended ferry services and construction projects on the water. In Guangdong, trains are cancelled and some cities have upgraded emergency responses. Haikuei has already injured more than 40 people on the island of Taiwan. It triggered landslides and knocked out power for hundreds of thousands of people on the island. Andy Lee reports from Taipei. Typhoon Haikuei has made landfall on the eastern part of the province of Taiwan. It went out to sea and then it came back again and made a second landfall in the western part of the province of Taiwan, the island of Taiwan. Now it's out to sea again, sitting in the middle of Taiwan Strait. This typhoon has brought considerable damage to the island of Taiwan. Actually, I must update those tally figures. 200,000 households have had blackouts and 118 incidents of floods. 78 people were injured. 700 cases of fallen trees and two cases of massive landslides. Of the 4,000 people that were previously evacuated, 2,000 people still cannot go back to their homes because their area is still under red alert. This Typhoon Haikuei is still lingering on over Taiwan. We're not exactly out of the woods yet. And that was Andy Lee reporting from Taipei. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has replaced Defense Minister Alexei Reznikov. Zelensky called for new approaches after a year and a half of conflict with Russia. He nominated Rustem Umarov as the new defense minister. Umarov has been the head of the state property fund since last year, and Zelensky said MPs will be called to vote on Umarov's nomination sometime this week. An alliance of opposition parties in Mexico has named uh, Social Galvez as the 2024 presidential candidate. Galvez is seen as the main candidate to take on the ruling National Regeneration Movement, the political party of President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador. I want a Mexico free from fear that provokes crime. I want a Mexico where being a woman is not a disadvantage. I want a better Mexico free from constraints for those who work hard and get up in the morning to work. The Institutional Revolutionary Party in the Broad Front from Mexico backed her to help her secure the candidacy. The National Regeneration Movement will announce its own candidate on Wednesday. Ecuadorians are heading to the polls again in October for a presidential runoff vote between two candidates. Among their major concerns is who can halt the country's surge in violence and crimes. Ecuador has struggled with drug trafficking and the situation's worsened. Dan Collins reports on what challenges lie ahead for the candidates. Ecuador is a country on the brink. The first round of the elections was held on August the 20th amid a rising tide of violence. Ahead of the vote, one candidate was shot dead in broad daylight. Meanwhile, the armed forces appear to be fighting a losing battle against narcos who've turned the country into a major cocaine smuggling route. It's early in the morning and soldiers have mounted a stop and search checkpoint. They're looking for drugs and guns and we're in Monte Sinai, which is one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Guayaquil, which is fiercely disputed by rival gangs. In Guayaquil, drug gangs are fueling a surge in violence and crime and making life for its residents a living hell. Here there aren't operations like this every day. It's the thieves who pass through here the most. The crime is scary. The criminals come on motorbikes to rob you. You can't do anything because they'll kill you. Extortion is rife, he said. Every home must pay protection money or there are consequences. Imagine, you have to pay 
Because if you don't pay, they'll come at midnight and plant a bomb or wait on the corner for you to come out and shoot you. Ecuador used to be a haven of peace amid the violence. But in the last few years, murders and forced disappearances have multiplied and it has joined the ranks of the region's most violent countries. In Guayaquil, the largest city and a major port on Ecuador's Pacific coast, a bloody turf war rages between drug gangs. Police patrol, but they can do little to stem the flow of trafficked cocaine. Daniel Laboa, the scion of one of the city's wealthiest families, is running for office. At the moment, we are totally invaded by narco-terrorism and we have to fight with all the strength we have in the police and the armed forces to clean that up. We live with figures of violence and figures of death similar to a war, so we have to treat it as a war and treat these narco-terrorist groups as our enemies. Businesses, big and small, are at the mercy of gangs extorting money and kidnapping those who refuse to pay. This year, thousands of mostly undocumented migrants left Ecuador, heading north. As a drug war rages on its doorstep, those record numbers will continue. That was Dan Collins reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, China-Pakistan cooperation under the Belt and Road Initiative. Why China instead of other countries? Why the village instead of the city? As China's rural revitalization continues, we talk to expats to find out their reasons for choosing to live in the country's villages for years or even decades. They also share their experiences and views on the development and reconstruction of the countryside over the years. Learn more about what's going on in China's vast rural areas through my expat life in rural China, here on Chat Lounge on CGTN Radio. 16 minutes past the hour. It's been 10 years since Chinese President Xi Jinping proposed the Belt and Road Initiative. 152 countries and 32 international organizations have signed up for cooperation. The China-Pakistan Economic Corridor has played a significant role in Pakistan's social and economic development, having helped strengthen ties between the two countries. The flagship project under the BRI is also believed to be a sustainable development approach. Cao Chufeng spoke with Pakistani Ambassador to China, Moin Al-Haq, on the major achievements of Pakistan's cooperation with China. Ambassador, you do know that when we in China talk about Pakistan, we refer to it as Bhatia, which means we think that China and Pakistan have an ironclad friendship. Um, how do you evaluate the relationship between China and Pakistan? Exactly as you mentioned, Iron Brotherhood. So it's an all-weather strategic partnership, uh, all-weather relationship which means, and which is a very important term all-weather, which means no matter what are the circumstances in our two countries, no matter which government is in power, no matter what are the circumstances around us internationally, regionally, our relationship remains constant. This year is the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative and CPAC, a flagship program under the initiative. Many things have been realized under CPAC. Um, in your opinion, how has CPAC influenced the bilateral relationship in China and Pakistan? When it was announced, it was also announced that it will be around $60 billion project. And uh, truly, it has been a game changer for Pakistan, economically, socially. 
Uh, we, we, we say that it has transformed the economic landscapes of Pakistan. It has upgraded our infrastructure, our energy needs, creating an almost 200,000 jobs. Chinese Vice Premier Khalifa was in Pakistan not long ago, and during his trip, six new documents were signed aimed to enhance further cooperation on the second phase of CPAC. And uh, I know this phase will put a focus on agriculture and IT. Uh, what are some areas you see most potential for cooperation in these two sectors? I think you mentioned two sectors, which are agriculture and IT. Both countries are strong in agriculture. Pakistan is a strong agriculture country, but we need Chinese uh, help and to benefit from its experience in modernizing our agriculture. Uh, corporate farming, irrigation, how to improve the, the per acre yield of our crops also. IT, of course, in this digital age, uh, no country can uh, develop its economy without technology and innovation in R&D. We have a special working group on IT under CPAC also. So of course uh, the, the future of CPAC, the second phase of CPAC is even more exciting. Now as Pakistan's ambassador to China on cooperation under the Belt and Road Initiative. Well, elsewhere along the Belt and Road, uh, Shalek Wind Farm stands as an example of China-Kazakhstan energy cooperation. Ning Hong visited the site to learn about uh, effects in sustainable development. At the Shellac Wind Farm, local staff are inspecting the turbines, launched in June 2022. The 60 megawatt Shellac Wind Farm alleviates the power shortage in Almaty to some extent and also reduces annual carbon dioxide emissions. The Shellac Wind Farm boasts an installed capacity of 60 megawatts, housing 24 wind turbine units developed and operated by Power China. The Shellac project was executed by Power China's Chengdu branch. Zhang Shui, hailing from Chengdu, has been involved in the project from start to finish over the course of four years. Returning here, I'm still very excited and proud. After our project was put into operation, it can produce 228 million kilowatts per hour of clean, green energy annually, providing stable electricity for 70,000 local households. It's estimated that it can reduce 160,000 tons of carbon dioxide emissions annually. The Shellac Wind Farm adopts wind turbines and construction standards from China with a high degree of automation. The control room at the wind farm is manned by professionals from both China and Kazakhstan, closely monitoring the wind turbines through the system. The wind farm has been stable for over one year. I majored in computer science, and this highly automated job is very much needed for my profession. I really like this job because this wind farm has the most advanced automation equipment in Kazakhstan, and I've learned a lot. The wind farm is currently in its operation phase, and engineering teams from Power China and Kazakhstan are jointly responsible. Dmitry Zenevich, a senior energy expert in Kazakhstan, underscores the vast potential for renewable energy in the country. He is currently cooperating with Power China to develop renewable energy in the Central Asian country and envisions a bright future. In Kazakhstan, I think there's huge potential for hydropower, wind energy and solar energy, which means many projects can be carried out here. The vast grasslands of Kazakhstan have great wind energy potential, and many more stations can be built than currently exist. In the past four years, 
Jiang Shuai has developed a strong interest and affection for Kazakhstan, and he hopes to return. In the past four years, I've dedicated myself to the Shellac wind farm project. Emotionally, I now feel like this wind farm is like my second child. After more than a year since it was launched, experts say the Shellac wind farm shows the potential and the feasibility of China-Kazakh cooperation in green energy. That was Ning Hong reporting from Kazakhstan. Diplomats from over 10 Asian countries have toured Zhejiang Province to see preparations for the upcoming Asian Games in Hangzhou. The delegates witnessed athletes training for the games and、uh, commended the progress and innovation in Zhejiang's digital economy. Hydrogen fuel cell drones were ensuring uninterrupted power supply during the event. Nepalese ambassador to China Bishnu Shrestha、uh, highlighted the transformative power of digitalization in government and society. I came to understand that there is a lot of、uh, changes brought by the help of、uh, inventions, innovations, and the work done in the field of digitalization of the society, as well as、uh, digitalization in the work of the government. And it, I think it will certainly brings a lot of changes and transformation in the life of the people. The delegates also witnessed how Zhejiang's fueling economic recovery through tech innovation.、Uh, Thai ambassador Thayut Srizamat、uh, visited a local e-commerce enterprise. The Chinese e-commerce is very developed, highly developed, highly sophisticated, you know, and it helps to、um, provide a platform for manufacturers and consumers to easily connect with each other. I would like to commend the the Chinese government's effort. To promote uh, e-commerce uh, with other countries, especially along the Belt and Road Initiative,、uh, so that、uh, more consumers can see some of the products being offered、uh, in, in the international marketplace. Zhejiang's increased its GDP from 800 billion yuan, or 112 billion U.S. dollars, in 2002, to 7.8 trillion yuan in 2022, with digital industries、uh, constituting 11.6 percent in the、uh, economy. The excitement surrounding the upcoming Hangzhou Asian Games is palpable throughout the city as people eagerly search for authentic items to commemorate the big event. One of the most sought-after collectibles is the Asian Games licensed badges, which have captured the hearts of many fans with their intricate designs. Zheng Tao has a story. Enthusiasts are taken to online marketplaces to search for rare and authentic Asian Games licensed badges. For those who have not yet secured theirs. The anticipation for the upcoming games only grows stronger. Enthusiast Xia Boguang has collected over a hundred Asian Games badges. He says this year he will purchase a set of badges featuring the 40 spots at the event. 他四十个竞赛大项，其实有只有三十一个是奥运项目。Thirty-one sports at Hangzhou Asian Games are also Olympic events. The other nine non-Olympic events are very distinctive and based on five Asian regions. These events have strong Asian characteristics. Another set of badges is themed on Chinese traditional festivals, such as Qingming. The design has incorporated many local elements compared to previous editions. Qingming is one of the nine major traditional festivals. During the season, Hangzhou residents venture out to enjoy the spring, and that's why there are badges featuring one of the mascots picking tea, another catching butterflies, and remaining mascot flying a kite. As an experienced collector, Xia says the design of licensed badges has improved over the years. And the collecting fever among the public also provides a window for cultural exchanges.
凑取徽章啊，其中很重要的一个内容呢。A crucial aspect of licensed badges to showcase the culture and the history of the host city. When you put your collectibles together, you can see a map of local cuisines and the culture in China. Hosting the Asian Games is a rare opportunity to present Chinese culture to the world. Xia says he's looking forward to displaying all his collectibles at an exhibition, as more people have a strong passion towards the badges. I think exchanging badges is a kind of a language for people who have shared experience of the same sports events. Through this platform, Chinese culture will gain greater influence as more people collect the badges. With less than a month to go, the Hangzhou Asian Games will be the third time that China has hosted the Games, after Beijing in 1990 and Guangzhou in 2010. For the Beijing Hour, this is Jiang Tao. Many people in Australia are helping revive fading indigenous languages to protect them from extinction.、Uh, Ray Ingray from Sydney is one of a handful of people fluent in Darawal, the first language heard by Captain James Cook when he landed in Australia in 1770. He chairs the、uh, Gujega Foundation, which currently runs、uh, Darawal language courses in 45 schools. Ingray says many non-indigenous parents regard indigenous languages as a choice for their children to learn a second. Language. We believe that sharing our language and culture with with everybody、um, enables a, a really good insight into the world's oldest living culture, and that can only benefit us moving forward together. If non-Aboriginal people really get a solid understanding of who we are and where we come from, as for truth telling, that's what we want. We, we haven't had a good shared history. But it's our history, nonetheless. A national census shows Australia has one of the highest rates of language loss in the world. We're at 28 past the hour. Beijing's 22 degrees overnight. Tomorrow, sunny skies and 31. China's National Observatory has issued an alert for Typhoon Haiyue as it's expected to bring gales and heavy rainfall to the southern and eastern parts of the country. The typhoon is expected to make landfall somewhere in the coastal areas stretching from Jiangpu County in Fujian Province to Huailai County in Guangdong Province on Tuesday morning, and further decrease in intensity.、Uh, Fujian's provincial capital, Fuzhou, is 24 overnight.、Uh, tomorrow. We'll see heavy rainfall and 29 degrees.、Uh, elsewhere, Tokyo is at 25 overnight, a slight rain and 32 degrees Celsius on Tuesday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, cultural displays are a hit with visitors at the China International Fair for Trade and Services in Beijing. Southern China is bracing for Typhoon Haiyue as the storm approaches Fujian and Guangdong provinces, and a flagship program of the Belt and Road Initiative is strengthening ties between China and Pakistan. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Monday. Still to come in business, China sets up a special bureau to enhance the private economy. 
In sports, a Chinese tennis star advances to the last 16 at the U.S. Open. In culture and entertainment, a Hong Kong actor honored at the Venice Film Festival. To contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first, today's headlines. Here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese Premier Li Qiang will attend the upcoming G20 summit in New Delhi starting on Saturday. Before that, the Premier will also attend the China-ASEAN summit and pay an, and pay an official visit to Indonesia this week. Fujian province on the eastern Chinese coast has upgraded its emergency response in anticipation of Typhoon Haikuei. The 11th typhoon of this year is expected to bring downpours to most parts of Fujian. Provincial authorities have suspended shipping routes, ferries and construction projects on the water. Before reaching the mainland, Haikuei had already caused damage in Taiwan. It injured more than 40 people and left thousands without power. Torrential rains have swept across Spain, prompting authorities to raise the highest alert in regions including the capital area for possible extreme danger. Madrid's mayor told residents to stay home. Emergency services sent out texts warning of flood risk and advised against driving on the streets. In the eastern coastal city of Tarragona, authorities ordered residents in one town to stay home to avoid floods after the town received over 200 litres of rain per square metre within 24 hours. A China-funded expressway in Bangladesh has partially opened to traffic. The country has inaugurated the first phase of the mega-road infrastructure project in Dhaka. The length of this section accounts for nearly a quarter of the total. Bangladeshi Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina says the project will help ease traffic congestion and boost social and economic development. I would like to express my gratitude and thanks to all concerned. Dhaka Elevated Expressway will play an important role to take Bangladesh to the rank of developed country by decongesting traffic. Director Li Guangjing at Shandong High Speed Group, which invested in and operates the expressway, says he hopes the project improves the well-being of local people. Thank you for the support from all sectors. We aim to ensure that the people of Bangladesh can share the benefits of development, improve transportation efficiency, and enhance their quality of life. The whole project is expected to be completed by June next year. The project has created over 7,000 local jobs and helped to train a large number of professionals. Nigeria has recalled almost all of the country's ambassadors from abroad. A spokesperson for President Bula Tinubu says it follows a probe into the state of affairs at Nigerian consulate offices and embassies worldwide. He says the move is in line with the Nigerian leader's determination to reorganize his new administration and ensure efficiency in the foreign service. Nigeria's permanent representatives to the UN offices in New York and Geneva are exempt from the recall as the session of the UN General Assembly will be held later this month. Since taking office in May, Tinubu has announced a series of reforms aimed at revitalizing the economy and spurring investment. 
South African President Cyril Ramaphosa says an independent inquiry has found no evidence of the country shipping arms to Russia. The inquiry followed a diplomatic row sparked by claims from the U.S. ambassador to South Africa, who said weapons were loaded into a Russian cargo ship at a naval base near Cape Town in December. Ramaphosa said the ship had docked at the base to deliver equipment that was procured by South Africa back in 2018. He said the accusations have damaged South Africa's economy and its status in the world. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says he has struck a deal with French President Emmanuel Macron on training pilots in France. Zelensky said he spoke with Macron and they also discussed what France could do to help protect Odessa, a city critical to grain exports. He added that four ships have passed through what he calls a temporary Black Sea shipping corridor established since Russia withdrew from the Black Sea Green Deal in July. A storm has left tens of thousands of partygoers celebrating the counterculture Burning Man Festival stranded at the site in the Black Rock Desert, Nevada. Organizers have closed the festival to vehicles and cancelled all burning activities after one death was reported. Kate Bates, who attended the celebration for the first time, says the experience was a nightmare. Last time someone took the wrong turn and everyone followed them. So we got like into the middle of the desert with no one around and got stuck there for like 12 hours. We like slept there and finally we were about to hitchhike and we finally tried it one more time and got ourselves out. Way to get out is like all like eight lanes have to merge into one. So it's very slow. It's a really slow process. But she says she plans to go again next year. The annual gathering in the desert attracted nearly 80,000 artists, musicians and activists for camping and performances. Thank you very much. That was Ju Tian Lu reporting. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China sets up a special bureau to enhance the private economy. The Beijing Hour, your window on China and the rest of the world. 37 past the hour now. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish higher on Monday. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, Chinese mainland markets rose sharply. Both the Shanghai Composite and Shenzhen Component Indexes were up by about 1.4%. Investors were definitely uh, welcoming the range of measures that were taken late last week to stabilize the Chinese property market. There was a lot for them to digest, really, from uh, the mortgage rate cuts to uh, changes to the first home buyer policies in the country's four tier one cities. Uh, there's also speculation about uh, further rollbacks of uh, property purchasing restrictions. Uh, around the country after reports in both domestic and foreign media. But it's the national level changes that have really spurred investor confidence because most of the uh, country's real estate policy is handled at a local level and investors now see the central government's hand on the wheel to uh, correct the course of the market. Uh, Not all of the major property developers were gaining. We did see rises for Gemdale Group, uh, Gemdale Corp rather, it was up uh, 1.6% and uh, there was also a 2% jump for season holdings. Uh, The other big winner was the Beijing Stock Exchange uh, after the regulator announced uh, a few reforms for what is the country's youngest exchange, only two years old. The uh, Beijing 50 index rose almost 6%, its strongest ever daily gain. Uh, The changes are planned for the Beijing exchange and they include uh, looser listing rules. Now this market uh, was initially 
designed to focus on niche sectors uh, and enable uh, innovative uh, startups to get easier access to funding. And uh, the regulator says that it's going to be expanding this by yeah, allowing better access to margin trading, uh, short selling as well, and also promoting the index to uh, mutual funds. Now as market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index gained over 2.5%. In Japan, the Nikkei rose by 7 tenths of a percent. China's state economic planners announced the establishment of a special bureau to support the growth of the country's private sector. Chen Zhiyuan reports. The State Commission Office of Public Sectors Reform has granted approval for the creation of the Bureau of Private Economy Development. As a specialized agency to promote the development and growth of the private economy, it will strengthen the overall coordination of policies in related fields and promote the early implementation and effectiveness of various major initiatives. The Bureau will operate under the National Development and Reform Commission with the aim of boosting private sector confidence. It represents another major step in addressing the economic challenges faced by private enterprises in China and follows July's move by eight government ministries to issue 28 measures designed to support the private economy. The Commission is working on establishing private investment project banks, ensuring the availability of land for key private investment projects, setting up part of the central budget to attract private investment, and establishing mechanisms to evaluate the work and coordination of private investment projects. The new bureau will be responsible for tracking and analyzing the development of China's private economy. It will plan, coordinate, and draft development and investment policies. Based on the current work, the establishment of the Private Economy Development Bureau under the Commission will help strengthen coordination and solidify and expand current achievements. It will create a better environment and offer stronger support for the growth of the private economy. Government officials say the Bureau will next establish what they describe as a communication mechanism with the private enterprises. The Bureau's role will be to coordinate and resolve major economic development issues and support the private sector and companies to improve their performance at home as well as international competitiveness. That was Chen Zhiyuan reporting. Trade between China and Sri Lanka has been developing rapidly over the years. 2022 marked the 70th anniversary of the two countries signing the Rubber Rice Pact. Uh, Kavisha Loku Heidege is president of the China Lanka Association for Trade and Economic Cooperation. As an exhibitor at the China International Fair for Trade and Services, he introduces the products they are presenting. This year, Sri Lanka has brought up Ceylon black tea, white tea, and uh, some green teas as well. Ceylon black tea is very famous. For past two to three days, all the people who visited the Sri Lankan booth in Sifties, they all loved the Sri Lankan tea. They got to know more about uh, Ceylon black tea. He says international events like Siftis will help further promote trade between China and Sri Lanka. China has been the second largest importer for Sri Lanka for last decade. And uh, if you look back for year 2022, Sri Lanka exported to China around uh, 272 million USD, while China has exported to Sri Lanka 5 billion USD. I think these kind of exhibitions, these kind of promotions will help Sri Lanka develop their trade between China and Sri Lanka. China has become Sri Lanka's one of the closest ally 
and uh, I hope Sri Lankan uh, more products, not only Ceylon uh, gems and jewelry, not only spices. Sri Lanka has lot to offer to the Chinese market, so I believe these friendships will definitely help Sri Lanka grow in their trade between China and Sri Lanka. He also says that with the Belt and Road Initiative, the two countries will see more cooperation in the fields of economy, trade, finance, and tourism. Axis Leisure Management is a strategic consulting and management services firm that's working throughout Asia and especially in China. Zhang Jun Fun spoke to Axis President Dustin Downs for his insights on opportunities for foreign companies in China's service sector. Tell us how technology, you know, gradually has been reshaping the landscape of services industry, especially in China. I think China certainly has been leading this way for a long, long time, but it's just becoming more and more evident. Every every month, there seems to be some new adaptation to an application where it's just making things happen faster and easier for the consumer. In our industry, certainly when it comes to booking for tourism or lessons with a golf instructor or a ski instructor, even at-home tutorials. Uh, on how to prepare yourself, even measuring how big your foot is. This technology is just at everybody's fingertips, and it's making everything easier. It's making the cost of operations for the resorts much better, and therefore they're able to deliver a better and more value-driven experience. But there must be challenges for a foreign company who provides services to China. I know. I mean, most Chinese people know there are many good ways of you know services. Overseas, you know, they've accumulated a lot of know-hows and practices.、Uh, the Chinese people also want to enjoy that. But what are the major challenges in bringing、uh, glo- global practitioners、uh, into the Chinese market? Well, I mean, this is a well-used, perhaps throwaway statement, let's say, but there is a lot of cultural differences between the way a Chinese consumer wants to interact with a product or a service than a foreign consumer might. And I think it really takes a strong understanding of that before you think you can just pick up your product and move it into China. What、uh, what is important to the Chinese consumer that might not be important to the the, the international market? Getting the mindset around that it's 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 not a big scary place. And that it is worth just dipping your toe in, just to find out whether or not you have a place in the market. Chinese people do appreciate the value and quality that international products bring to the market. That was Justin Downs on opportunities for foreign companies in China's service sector. Australia's household spending's fallen for the first time since 2021, as consumers made adjustments amid higher interest rates and inflation. The overall drop in household spending was driven by furnishings and household equipment, clothing and footwear, and recreation and culture. Fresh data from the ABS also showed that spending on goods recorded its target, or rather, its largest decline since July 2021, with a 4.1 percent fall, while spending on services rose by 2.4 percent. July. Also saw spending growth rates plunge in all states and territories compared to the previous month.、Uh, since May of 2022, the Reserve Bank of Australia has delivered 12 rate hikes, raising rates from 0.1 percent to 4.1 percent. China's warehouse storage index has stayed in the expansion range for the seventh consecutive month in August. The index tracking、uh, tracking the sector's developments stood at 52 last month, down 0.2 points from July. The sub-index of new orders was 53.7, up 1.2 points. The inventory turnover of consumer goods is significantly higher than that of bulk commodities. 
the Invest in China Year Promotion Conference for Greater Openness in the Services Sector was held in Beijing on Sunday. It showcased impressive achievements and highlighted the business environment advantages in the 11 pilot demonstration provinces and cities. Representatives engaged in on-site project negotiations with domestic and foreign investors, resulting in 35 projects being discussed. Uh, These projects span across eight major sectors, including business services, technology services, healthcare and finance, with a projected uh, investment exceeding 70 billion yuan. The event drew over 600 attendees, including embassy representatives, foreign trade associations and multinational company executives. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, a Chinese tennis star advances to the last 16 at the U.S. Open. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. It's 47 past the hour now. And turning to sports, here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with tennis and China's Zhang Qinwen is through to the last 16 at the US Open, defeating Lucia Bronzetti in their third round match. Zhang will next play last year's runner-up Ans Jibur in the early hours of Tuesday morning Beijing time. And young Chinese Chinese tennis sensation Wang Xinyu with her partner has powered into the women's doubles quarterfinals for the very first time. Elsewhere on the women's side, Yelena Ostapenko has defeated world number one and defending champion Iga Swiatek in their round of 16 clash in three sets. Ostapenko will take on home favorite Coco Gauff in the quarterfinals after her win against Caroline Wozniacki. On the men's side, Carlos Alcaraz, Andrei Rublev, Alexander Zverev, Yannick Sinner and Daniel Medvedev are all through to the round of 16. Novak Djokovic will play Taylor Fritz in the quarterfinals, while Francis Tiafoe and Ben Shelton compete in the other confirmed quarterfinal. China's Zhang Jijian lost to Rinki Hijakata over the weekend. Red Bull's Max Verstappen has made history at the Italian Formula 1 Grand Prix, becoming the first driver to win 10 consecutive F1 races. Verstappen expressed his happiness with the performance. I'm uh, very happy with um, something that you you don't even think about uh, trying to to achieve because it's very unlikely that those kind of things happen, but they're very proud that that it happened. And uh, in general, of course, very proud of what the team has done also today again. I mean, the whole year so far has been pretty incredible. But also one to here at Monza, I think, is pretty uh, special. Verstappen's Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez finished second, while Carlos Sainz completed the podium at Ferrari's home circuit. China's Zhou Guan Yu crossed the line in 15th for Alfa Romeo. More in racing, Alex Espargaro led a historic Aprilia 1-2 at the MotoGP Catalan Grand Prix over the weekend. Espargaro won the race after it was red flagged for a crash, which hospitalized championship leader Francesco Bagnaia. Bagnaia's teammate Enya Bastianini triggered a multi-rider incident at Turn 1, which took down numerous riders and also sent him to hospital. Bagnaia is thought to have largely escaped any serious injuries. Bastianini, meanwhile, is thought to have suffered fractures to his hand. Greet Asia in Hangzhou. Embrace the excitement of the games. The Shaoxing Baseball and Softball Sports Center is ready to host contests during the Hangzhou Asian Games. Baseball venue vice director Ding Feng explains the innovative features of the center. The venue is built with a special drainage system. So for example, if we pour this amount of water, 
let's say, a bucket of water onto the field, in seven or eight seconds, it will all seep into the ground. No matter how heavy the rain is, even at a rainstorm level, once it stops, the field will be dry, and the game can restart in less than 30 minutes. It is the largest baseball and softball venue in China and will be used to showcase innovative concepts on health, architecture and low-carbon living after the games. In today's Meet Asia in Hangzhou section, we turn to the 8th edition of the Asian Games, which took place in Thailand for the third time. Chiju has more. The 1978 Asian Games were in Bangkok, the third time in four editions it had been staged in Thailand's capital. Original hosts of Singapore could not fulfill their obligations due to financial reasons. The Pakistani capital Islamabad was then chosen, but also pulled out due to conflicts with Bangladesh and India. It led to Bangkok stepping in and hosting the Games again. A record 3,800 athletes from 19 countries and regions competed in 19 sports. Making their debuts were archery and bowling. Middle East countries including Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Syria, Lebanon and the UAE attended the Asian Games for the first time. Lebanon sent three athletes to the event, the fewest among all delegations, but took a gold and a silver medal in weightlifting. Japan again topped the medal table with 70 gold and 177 medals in total. China started their challenge of Japan's dominance, bagging 151 medals at the event and ranking second in a tally. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Qi In football news, Arsenal pulled off a dramatic 3-1 victory against bitter English Premier League rivals Manchester United over the weekend. United's Marcus Rashford scored the first goal of the game before Arsenal skipper Martin Odegaard equalised seconds later in the first half. United thought they'd won it when Alejandro Garnacho scored in the 88th minute. However, a close VAR offside call denied him his moment. United manager Eric Ten Hag was adamant it should have stood. Declan Rice and Gabriel Jesus scored stoppage time goals to take Arsenal to a famous victory and Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta was full of praise for his side's efforts. We, we all work so hard and, and plan everything to live moments like this and, uh, and those moments are going to stick with us, you know, to see the crowd so connected with the team again and celebrate um, in a big match like today with the history of these clashes, I think it's, um, it's something great, so very happy. Elsewhere, Liverpool defeated Aston Villa 3-0, Brighton won 3-1 against Newcastle and Crystal Palace emerged with a 3-2 win over Wolves. And finally, Real Madrid and Spain legend Sergio Ramos has reportedly agreed to sign for La Liga side Sevilla. The defender will return to his boyhood club after leaving 18 years ago. Ramos will join the club as a free agent after leaving Ligue 1 side PSG. Ramos is one of the most decorated footballers in history with five La Liga and four Champions League titles with Real Madrid. He is also a FIFA World Cup and two-time European champion with the Spanish national team. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates reporting. Coming up in culture and entertainment, the Hong Kong actor honored at the Venice Film Festival. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world.
6.53 past the hour now and turning to culture and entertainment. Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, Shane. Hong Kong actor Tony Liang Cho Wai has received a Golden Lion Lifetime Achievement Award at the Venice Film Festival. Brushing away happy tears amid a prolonged standing ovation, Liang attributed his personal success to Hong Kong cinema. I'm so grateful to have been raised in Hong Kong as well as being nurtured later by the Hong Kong movie industry in general, where my acting career began. And uh, I also want to share this honor and give thanks to all those wonderful people who I have worked with over the past 41 years, because this is a tribute to them as well, and of course, to Hong Kong cinema. Leon gained international recognition for his roles in movies made by Wong Kar Wai, such as In the Mood for Love and 2046. The 61-year-old also appeared in a trio of movies that won the top Golden Lion Award at the Venice Film Festival. A City of Sadness, Cyclo, and The Last Caution, directed by An Lee, who handed him his award on Saturday. The third instrument in the Denzel Washington-led Equalizer franchise has topped the North American box office with 34.5 million U.S. dollars over the because weekend. Because of these people, I'm beginning to understand real peace. Roberto, this is my wife. Labor Day signals the end of Hollywood's summer movie season, which will likely surpass $4 billion in ticket sales for, for the first time since the pandemic. Barbie and Oppenheimer are the main contributors to the summer movie rush. The two films are still netting records even after seven weeks in theaters. Barbie officially became the biggest movie of 2023, while Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer sailed past $850 million globally. The mountains and lakes of Hangzhou have inspired the de- design of some of the venues for the Asian Games opening later this month. We will be visited one venue where a traditional Chinese ink painting has been recreated on a wall. The Fuyang Yinghu Sports Center is one of the newly built venues for the Hangzhou Asian Games. As one of the most specially designed venues, 47 gold medals will be handed out there during the Games. This is the place that will be hosting the competitions of shooting, archery and modern pentathlon during the upcoming Hangzhou Asian Games. It's surrounded by beautiful mountains that was once painted by a famous artist centuries ago. And now architects have recreated the painting on a tiled wall through the clever use of light and shadows. Chief designer Hu Huifeng told us that he and his team were excited when they knew the venue would be at the foot of a chain of mountains. When we arrived at this site, we were very touched because the surrounding chain of mountains inspired us. How can we design a venue that fits with the local topography and culture which belongs to the landscape here? This is what we want to achieve. The shape of the building borrows the idea of traditional houses in the region. The curves of the roof are similar to the mountains. So no matter from near or far, it's perfectly integrated into the surrounding environment. And then came a major problem. How to make one of China's most famous paintings part of the building at a reasonable cost? In the end, we chose tiles, around 34,000 pieces of standard tiles. Each of them serves as a pixel and each of them can change its angle, five degrees at a time. And then, by combination of different angles, we have created a painting. And after six months of hard efforts, the painting is alive on the wall. The shades of color varies from dawn to dusk, even if the tiles are fixed. And when night falls, 
modern light technology is creating a whole new different feeling. Designer Hu says he hopes when they are not competing for medals, all the Asian Games athletes will walk around the venue to experience the subtle changes and unique charm of the building through their own eyes. That was Wu Bin in Hangzhou.、Right, thank you very much. That was Yang Guang reporting. We're at 58 past the hour in Beijing's down to 22 degrees overnight. Tomorrow's sunny and 31. Chongqing's at 25 this evening, then sunny and 36. Lasts is down to nine. Tomorrow's cloudy and 23 degrees. Hong Kong's 27 tonight. It'll see showers tomorrow and 32. Elsewhere, Tokyo 25 degrees overnight, a slight rain and 32 degrees on Tuesday. Islamabad will have a slight rain and 24 tonight.、Uh, tomorrow the slight rain continues. The high is 32. Bangkok's at 26 this evening, then moderate rainfall and 31. On Tuesday, in Africa, Nairobi is getting a slight rain in 27 degrees, and finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 13 this evening. Then it's overcast in 23 degrees Celsius on Tuesday.、And、that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today: cultural displays are a hit with visitors at the China International Fair for Trade and Services in Beijing. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Watch CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impacts of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line of this critical issue. Subscribe to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home.